0: The Redshirt Collective,
1: a Star Trek watch-along podcast where we analyze and talk about all seven seasons of Star Trek The Next Generation from a radical leftist perspective.
0: So energize with Earl Grey Tea and Chocolate from the Replicator.
1: Set your phasers to fun.
0: And prepare to engage. Ready, Captain?
1: Yes, Captain. Make it, it, it so. so. Welcome aboard. Hey
0: Nick. Hey Mike.
1: Where you been?
0: A <laughs> long time to see.
1: I know, I know. Yeah, it's you know, I just lost sight of the purpose for a while. You know, like we were talking of about off, off mic for a minute that like the purpose of this podcast is to have an excuse to watch Star Trek and talk about Star Trek.
0: Yeah. So yeah,
1: I'm feeling really good to be back right now.
0: Well, I'm glad to hear it. I'm glad to be back too, and I think this is a great episode to jump back in with. Mm-hmm. Before we get into it, we just want to say, as always, uh, recording is going to be sporadic <laughs> for a while. <laughs> we appreciate you hanging in there. And you know, we're just happy to be here whenever we can be here.
1: yeah, we we appreciate the fact that anybody listening to this podcast is here for the exact same reason we are, which is that we're just a bunch of nerdy, dorky (laughs) geeks who want to watch some Star Trek and talk about it. But sometimes life gets in the way of our nerdy, dorky geek pursuits, and we have to (laughs) do shit and then come back to it.
0: Ugh. I mean... You know, it's just like, I wish we could live on a planet where technology could take care of all of the daily tasks of life so we could just focus on making this art.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Hmm. You know, it's almost like I've heard that somewhere.
0: (laughs) But I wonder if it would maybe be too good to be true.
1: Hmm. Well, segue um, <laughs> Let's should, find we, out, shall should we? we find out Nick
0: <laughs> <laughs> I think we should
1: take it away
0: today we're talking about season one episode 16 when the bow breaks, which is a very disturbing lullaby if people don't know because they don't know where it originated from so I'm sure people in certain countries may not know. It's a rockaby baby in the treetop when the bow break no wait.
1: When the out wind out blows. The
0: wind. When the wind blows, the cradle, the cradle will, will, rock. will rock. When the bow breaks, the baby will fall. Down will come baby, cradle and all. So like many things for children from olden times, very disturbing and weird. <laughs> what yeah. does that mean? Why is a baby in a tree and why are they falling out of it?
1: And why do we have a dead baby as a reason? Why are, we, <laughs> why are we singing dead baby songs to our, to our newborn babies. children?
0: <laughs> I know. So, anyway, I just wanted to put that little piece of trivia in your ear if you weren't aware. So, uh, when the bell breaks, the one in which parents just don't understand. <laughs> <laughs> All our references are very 90s around here.
1: Uh, it's, oh, I have got a few queued up for today. So, <laughs> oh, it's, I'm very we are excited. in luck. We are in luck. <laughs>
0: So, we open this episode with Commander Will T. Riker being summoned to the bridge by the captain and then blasted into by a small child named Henry. On the bridge, Captain Jean-Luc Picard explains that he wants Riker to look at a curiosity, a faint energy reading that led them to their current position but then suddenly stopped with no clue as to what the source is or was. They find themselves in the Epsilon Minos system. This is of some apparent significance because Picard wiggles his eyebrows at Riker, who perks right up and says that Picard was right that he'd be interested in this and that he wouldn't miss this for anything. Chief Security Officer Tasha Yar stands in for the audience by asking the boys, what's so special about this place? (laughs) Riker goes on to excitedly tell the bridge crew that this system is rumored to be home to Aldea, a mythical world he compares to Atlantis, an advanced civilization that sounds like a leftist paradise, uh-huh. one where all technological advancements were used to provide for the citizens' needs so they could focus their energies and passions strictly on art and culture. According to Riker, the Aldeans cloak their planets so that they are invisible to those who might disturb them, like marauders that might rob them of their precious technology. Yar laughs like a small child and calls this a wonderful fairy tale. (laughs) But we see ship's counselor and half-Betazoid and therefore mildly sometimes slightly psychic, (laughs) Tiana Troy, (laughs) suddenly become alert as if she's sensing something. Data says the scanners show nothing, but Diana, why can't I say her name? Troy (laughs) claims that she's sensing something very strong from very close by. I led book club yesterday and I think like, I just can't talk anymore. I kept getting stuck on a word there too. And it's so weird how like a certain word will just get into your head and you like cannot get past it.
1: Yeah. When I write it down, I think I put an E instead of an I-
0: Mm. secure
1: me to say diana i don't know if that's actually how it's written but
0: i think it's with an i but that's actually a really good idea oh yeah Um, i don't i
1: don't i don't write it correctly i just write it so that i like know how to say it
0: (laughs) i mean phonetic (laughs) spelling is a treasure
1: Yeah, yeah it is
0: Security officer Worf says he's picking up on a distortion, which he puts on screen for the captain, and we see the shape of something out in space, which quickly reveals itself to be a planet, and Riker nearly wets himself with joy. (laughs) They hail the planet to announce their peaceful intentions, and we are greeted by yet another blonde woman, this one being Kathleen from Party of Five. Really? <laughs> yes.
1: Oh, it's so funny.
0: You know how sometimes you what? meet an actor and they just get stuck in your head as being from one specific thing. Yes, she is always party of five to me.
1: Wow, that explains that explains like because like fourteen year old Mike had like little tingleys in his pants when she came on the screen.
0: <laughs> and you're like. Where I was like coming why, from. Why why is it yeah, this totally
1: makes sense because Party of Five was like kind of a sexy show. I mean it was
0: pretty sexy. You know, it was
1: about teenagers doing teenager stuff.
0: Put Nev Campbell on the map, you know?
1: Yeah, I mean, come on. Okay. Yeah. That this explains so much. By any chance, um, did you get the name of the actor of um what's the spaghetti sauce name guy? Ragu Prego? Oh <laughs> Prego? <God>. Pre- <laughs> Radu. Bam, that's his name. <laughs> Sorry. I told you I had 90s stuff in, in the hopper today. 90s spaghetti sauce wars. I mean, you <laughs> remember, the, remember the commercial where they oh had the spaghetti God. on the plate and they were like, which one is chunkier, ragu or oh, prego? Yeah. They, and they really would dump went the for sauces. each other's
0: throats back then. They did.
1: <laughs> it was all out war between those spaghetti sauces. <laughs> Like both of which equally tasted like shit. So I, they were it was
0: disgusting. Like, you might as well just and put then, like, ketchup Prego, on your Prego, you are made completely out of oregano. Like you have no room to talk. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I don't care how fucking chunky you are. You are straight up oregano. <laughs> it's just
1: chunks of herb <laughs> and not the cool kind. <laughs> no. <laughs> oh, okay. Well, we can come back to that actor. I, I, I. He looked really familiar.
0: To answer your question, I did not look him up, but he is definitely an actor who's been in like a million things. He's yes. like that guy. Yeah. yeah.
1: Okay. Well, I totally derailed our, um, <laughs> our recap there.
0: <laughs> so Kathleen's name is not actually Kathleen in this episode, but it's going to be Kathleen in the script. So Kathleen warmly greets them by saying, welcome to Aldea and the boys can't even believe it. Picard is actually nervous addressing Kathleen. It's kind of cute. Speaking to her in wonder, he asks why they chose to reveal themselves now when they have such powerful cloaking technology. And Kathleen keeps saying things that like insinuate she knows a lot more about them than should be possible. Uh, yeah. and she just, yeah, it was like, like she kept saying, We know to certain things. It just was like, how, What is going on here? And she responds to Picard's question by saying that they should meet as if as they have a lot to discuss that is of mutual interest. Mm-hmm. Picard excitedly says they're ready to meet anytime, and Kathleen zaps herself to the bridge right as he's saying that. Joined by some dude, uh, <laughs> the <laughs> famous Ragu. Do
1: <laughs> you know who he is? I sorry, I just figured it out. I mean, we are riding the 90s nostalgia wave today. (laughs) If you are not prepared for this, just get off the ride right now. You must be at least this (laughs) 90s to board this ride. (laughs) Um, It is the actor who played Deep Throat in the X-Files series. Oh, shit. Yes. Uh, His name is, in fact, Jerry Harden. Uh, He also is in The Firm. Uh, and
0: oh, yeah. it
1: appears he's also known for Cujo. So again, oh. talking about the the throwbacks here. Um, but I he was so familiar from the X-Files. Huge X-Files fan sitting on this side of the microphone. Uh, loved that show.
0: You know, I did love that show, but I never like got into it the way that people mm. got into it. I got when into always- it. I mean, I was like very into it, but I feel like I'm not someone who can, I don't even really recall specific episodes. I just really liked it at the time. Yeah. So I've always been meaning to revisit and kind of see uh, how it holds up.
1: Yeah. Maybe that can be our next side project.
0: <laughs> <laughs> 23 years from now. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. <laughs> Or we could just, I mean, Mike, maybe this is our future career path as we just start an empire of nostalgic watch-along TV show podcasts and, you know, get like five to ten listeners for each. And eventually (laughs) that'll add up to a lot of total people.
1: (laughs) I don't know if it's a great business model, but... (laughs) But, you know, it's it's definitely a good enough lifestyle that I would quit my job today.
0: I mean, you know, if we have the, you know, post-capitalist revolution, then uh-huh. I think that this is what we should do to contribute.
1: Uh-huh. Uh-huh.
0: People will be like, um, no, we need people to, like, help with sanitation. And we'll be like... But we're hosting we're podcasts, watching shows, you've... people. Yeah, <laughs> we're doing. <laughs> They're like, no, we need people to help grow food, and we're like, no, we're we're creating art and culture. Okay.
1: You know, but truthfully, if we have this this revolution, like I've got to believe, I like I am not going to the ramparts for eight hour workdays. You know no. what I mean? It's like, oh, no. I, I'm going to the rampart for like two hour workdays. Yeah, like. Yeah, and then, man.
0: And then we're podcasting.
1: I will garden my fucking ass <laughs> off for two hours if it means I'm getting to do podcasts and all this kind of stuff too. Same. I mean, I
0: yeah. mean really everyone should keep me out of the garden because I'm death to plants, but I could cook. I can, you know, I can do other things, but yeah, I'm happy to work if it means I can just do this kind of stuff all day.
1: Yeah. I mean, truthfully, sanitation worker is a little more up my alley than gardening. Um, (laughs) When you mention that, I'd be like, actually, I'd be volunteering for that one. Um, But yeah, anyway.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Oh my God. Our poor (laughs) listeners, they're never going to hear this (laughs) recap. (laughs) We're just too excited because we haven't gotten to hang out (laughs) this whole time either. So we're like, friend. Um, So (laughs) Raghu, it's just not going to not be funny to me. Uh, Raghu says, we mean you no harm as the bridge alarms clang at the sudden intrusion. It is mentioned here that the Enterprise would not have been able to beam them over to the ship. So beam them out or anyone in as the planet's shields prevent that, which will become kind of a checkoff shield. later in the story
1: i mean once again random shield logic as (laughs) typical of star (laughs) trek yes
0: yeah they're like no we can beam through our shields but you can't beam through our shields i'm like Mm -hmm. all right whatever they're like
1: why and the answer is like because it would not help the plot right that's why
0: (laughs) yeah there would be no story if it didn't work that way and you're like okay got it the (laughs) the dude introduces himself as red dew (laughs) (laughs) But he will be heretofore known as Raghu. First appointee to Aldea. Chief Medical Officer Dr. Beverly Crusher pounces into the conversation to exclaim anxiously that they didn't go through decontamination, which is another thing that seems to be like sometimes necessary and sometimes not necessary.
1: I, I know. What is that even?
0: I mean, I can kind of understand that they're a new race that they've never met before. But even so, even if you've met a race before, like, they could have developed any number of diseases and stuff in the time since. So it it just Mm. seems like everyone should have to go through that or not. But people beam onto the bridge all the time, and it's fine. (laughs) So. Yeah. I think it was more like they wanted to emphasize this for foreshadowing, you know? Right. And also, I guess, give Bep something to do because, you know, otherwise she had been standing there for like 10 minutes awkwardly. <laughs>
1: <laughs> That's true. She's kind of just like lurking in the background of the scenes, kind of peering over people's shoulders.
0: <laughs> Gates McFadden is like, um,
1: <clears throat> They're like, oh, sorry.
0: <laughs> Here's the line.
1: <laughs> oh.
0: uh, so the two uh aldeans gift picard with flowers and an invitation to a celebration on planet by the way there did not end up being a celebration anyway
1: there was no Um, celebration but that little cornucopia flower thing (laughs) was everything it really (laughs) was it's made the episode right there
0: it really was and it was such an awkward it was like where is that gonna go (laughs) because, <laughs> like, op- uh, Riker kind of, like, put it down <laughs> on the branch, but it's, like, it can't stay there. I know. And so it's, like, I where... Know. They must just have, like, random alien plants in the observation lounge or somewhere all the time. Yeah. Or, like, in my old job, they would put stuff in the kitchen area. <laughs> so you'd go in, there just be, like, leftover food from a business lunch and, like, random plant assortments that were about to go... Like turn and people are going to throw them out but they would put them downstairs so if someone wanted to take them home I just picture the the Enterprise has an area like that where there's just all these random (laughs) alien things and people are like take what you want
1: (coughs) maybe that's actually what the ready room is for
0: oh god I hope so people coming in with their Tupperwares and just like stealing all the free food
1: (laughs) oh okay
0: so, um, da, da, da. yeah, they invite Picard. Well, they invite Picard, but like Picard doesn't go. This whole thing is a little confusing, uh, yeah. um, but they invite like the Enterprise, I guess, the crew to come to the planet. Picard cannot agree fast enough, and he tells Riker to go assemble the away team at once. Before Riker can go, R- Ragu calls Riker by okay. his name, which she shouldn't know because it hasn't been said in front of him. When questioned about how he has that information, Ragu laughs and says they've been monitoring the Enterprise's communications. She's like, <laughs> red flag. <But laughs>
1: this is like, yeah, this is like signs that your date is maybe yeah. not going well. I've been monitoring your communications. I mean,
0: and people <laughs> do that shit. People uh, are like, yeah. "Oh, I found your Instagram and looked through everything and now I know yeah. all of your friends' names." And you're like, "Um, check please." Oh, creepy. <laughs> Before, um, also I used to have a blog and I had a guy who read my entire blog after our mm-hmm. first date and I found that very disturbing. That's I did not weird. like it.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: I cuz I would go to like tell him a story and he'd be like, "Oh, I know. I read about that on your blog." And I'm like, that's this is so weird. Oh,
1: yeah. Also, it's like, come on, like, some of us are weird enough to do that, but you, you don't be weird enough <laughs> to tell someone yeah, you did Yeah, that was it. the
0: thing, too. I was like, <laughs> don't tell me that you did that.
1: Yeah, yeah. <laughs> at
0: least at least, just keep it to yourself. Exactly. Anyway, um, so Ragu says that they've been <laughs> monitoring the Enterprise, and that before wincing, like, he's getting a headache... <laughs> Which I, before I anyway he blames this on the lights, but I was like, quick, check the ship for large glowing red orbs. <laughs> and Little, Ferengi. And Ferengi <laughs> with personal vendettas
1: <laughs> that oh, are man.
0: extremely obvious, but ha- withheld as if they're plot twists.
1: But there were none.
0: <laughs> so Ragu says they need to get back quickly. That their eyes are sensitive to the bright lights on the ship before he and Kathleen disappear. Once gone, the crew talk about the situation. Riker states the extremely obvious that the Aldeans intentionally left the quote-unquote breadcrumbs, which were the energy readings that led them to this location. So obviously the Aldeans brought them there on purpose. Picard asked Troy if she picked up on anything from the Aldeans, and Troy said that they want something from them, something they value greatly, So greatly, in fact, that they're afraid that the crew won't part with it. Dun-dun-dun. And if you knew what the title was referring to, you'd probably put it together, what they're looking for. Ragu comes on over the comm and says the Aldeans are ready for Commander Riker and two of his colleagues, and then they just snatch Riker, Dr. Crusher, and Troy. Uh Like they just like take (laughs) them. It's like, did anyone consent to this? Like, what the fuck?
1: Yeah, this episode was bad consent
0: models. (laughs) All around.
1: Mm -hmm. Um,
0: And to this, Picard just laughs amusedly and says, interesting choices. We join in on a little chat between Data and The Boy, a.k.a. Wesley Crusher, when there is a sudden aggressive beam of light shot onto the bridge that starts scanning around until it lands on Wesley. Helmsman Geordi LaForge says the beam is emanating from the planet and Picard orders shields up a check on all decks, and for no one to touch Wesley, who is still caught in the beam's light. Picard is informed that the shields are inoperable on the ship, and that all decks are also being scanned by similar beams. The beam stops as suddenly as it started, and Wesley, who is standing inert inside of it with his eyes closed, as if in some kind of trance, opens his eyes. He tells Picard, It was scary at first, but I didn't really feel anything... (laughs) (laughs)
1: <laughs> you gotta quit reading
0: that. <laughs> Insert losing virginity joke here. <laughs> Worf informs the captain that there are similar incidents on all decks, but dun dun dun, only with the children. Down on Aldea, Ragu is telling Riker that the Aldeans paid a high price for being such an advanced civilization saying their people became obsessed with material possessions and that they now live by a strict code of when you take something, you give something in return. Foreshadowing. This alludes to there being very few Aldeans left to enjoy their current peaceful way of life. Raghu says they need help from the Federation to rebuild their heritage. They need strong, healthy, younger generation to follow in the Aldean traditions. And then Ragu drops the bomb that they have no children. Mm. Apparently, Kathleen was the last child born on this planet, and she presumably is meant to be, I believe, in her twenties, maybe like early 20s. Uh-huh. So this lets us know that this has been, you know, a pretty massive issue for a long time, and their medical community has not been able to solve this infertility issue. So Ragu finally gets around <laughs> to it. <laughs> He proposes a trade in exchange for some of their children. The Aldeans are offering information that would take the Federation centuries to acquire. The away team all look startled. All look at each other, aghast and wild eyed. And then Troy calmly steps in to explain that while this deal may work for other races. Humans are unusually attached to their offspring, which I have a lot of feelings about that sentence we'll talk Mm. about that later okay bev adds icily that their children are not for sale at any price Riker makes it clear that they will not entertain this idea but do offer to help in any other way that they can ragu bemoans the cruise and transigence which i had to look up (laughs) (laughs) uh it basically just means like um not being willing to change your mind um, so he bemoans a cruise intransigence before he suddenly beams them back to the enterprise while they where they watch first Wesley and then five other children disappear right in front of their eyes, including that little shit, Henry, which <laughs> immediately, I'm like, are six kids enough to repopulate an entire race? like that is
1: so funny that did not occur to me, but <laughs> yeah, also like a little bit frightening if you think about uh, like, yeah. Like, what are they planning to do with these kids? Oh, Uh, I have notes
0: about that.
1: That Okay, okay.
0: Immediately I was like, um, excuse me?
1: Yeah, interesting. That was one that did not occur to me.
0: It occurred to me. And I vaguely remembered this episode and I had remembered it that they took all the kids. So then I think that's part of why I noticed that it was like specifically these few kids Mm -hmm. and wondering like, Wait a minute, if your entire race is dying, you're only taking six children? Like, what is that going to do for you? Yeah. And what are they going to have to do to That's save more what the I race? was thinking. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Ragu hails the Enterprise to discuss compensation, and Picard has the most fucking Picard response ever.
1: Compensation? You have stolen our children away from... Away from their classrooms, away from their bedrooms, and you talk about compensation. You claim to be a civilized world, and yet you've just committed an act of utter barbarity. Bagar just totally goes completely off the rails in like one second. <laughs> yes. And, then, and then I love when when Ragu is like, "Captain, we <laughs> will continue these discussions when you've calmed down." Yeah. <laughs> He's, like, so patronizing. (laughs) It was
0: so patronizing. It was very funny. I know. Picard went from, like, so excited and childlike at discovering this planet to just immediately in, like, full Mad Daddy mode. Barbarity. (laughs) (laughs) The Aldeans come in and inform Wesley and the kids that they have been chosen by the custodian because they're special. They say the kids are here as guests and can have whatever they want, except to go home. (laughs) In the observation lounge, the crew is having yet another conversation about how all the parents on the ship knew what they signed on for when they joined Starfleet. And Picard is going to do what he can to get the kids back. But there's also vibes of like, you know, in Starfleet, your kids may just get kidnapped or executed. And that's just the breaks. (laughs) <laughs> right. Picard says he plans to engage Danes in compensation, compensation negotiations to buy them all some time. And he has appointed Bev as the representative of the parents, and he promises the Enterprise won't leave them behind. Henry's shitty dad is sad because he yelled at Henry for being a little <laughs> shit the last time he saw him and asked if they can speak to the children, which Picard promises to try to arrange. Down on Aldea, Alexandra, who's this tiny little precocious, adorable, teeny little girl, um, for some reason just immediately takes to Kathleen, and we see them bonding and playing together right away and being very affectionate.
1: Can we just agree right up front that Alexandra is the best?
0: She is the fucking best.
1: Yeah. she's so sweet. (laughs) I don't know where that kid's career went after this episode, (laughs) but- I mean, it could only go up from there.
0: Oh, she was so cute. Yeah. Uh, The other kids are worried and find out they're being assigned to families, to which Wesley spicily says, we already have families. Ooh. (laughs) I love Wesley so much. (laughs) Also, apparently Henry's name is Harry, but I'm not going back to change it. (laughs) 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 I would have sworn on a stack of... Anarchist manuals that his name was Henry and then I got this far and I was like, well, I'm, I'm not changing the script. Uh, we see the kids have been assigned to Aldeans that are highly skilled in areas that the kids have been assessed to have a special acuity in. So, for instance, Harry is assigned to a family that are artists. Um, Katie, some other girl, is assigned to this guy who's a musician and so on. After Wesley sasses him, Ragu tells Wesley that the kids, as the kids' leader, he needs to accept that this is their life now and help the other kids accept that as quickly as possible as well. Meanwhile, Alexandra and Kathleen come running in giggling, and Ragu scolds Kathleen for not handing Alexandra over to her signed family. Kathleen snaps back that she will never let Alexandra go, and Ragu looks aghast. On the Enterprise, Riker rushes to tell Picard and Data, or sorry, tell Picard that Data may have discovered some weaknesses in the Aldane shield through which they might be able to beam through. I don't know why, mm. but this just struck me as so silly.
1: Yeah, yeah. <laughs> They're I mean, like, it's, oh, it's, there's it's,
0: some like fluctuations and weaknesses, and we might be able to like beep, beam through. And I'm like, really, guys?
1: It just seems kind of lazy, but whatever.
0: And then this. This episode was very actually well done overall and pretty tightly written, but there were yes. many threads that just did not pan out. And this was one of them. So so Riker tells Picard, you know, we've discovered these weaknesses and we might be able to exploit them. But then Data says also that a better alternative is basically to steal their password that they oh. use to, commu- to uh, travel through the shield. Um he says something about maybe like they would have it from the ship's logs, or there's I, I got the sense he was like hacking their password.
1: <laughs> yeah.
0: Um also a very 90s thing. So
1: Yeah, Anyway, I was say, that's we were one up. hacking scene away from having a full-on 90s film.
0: <laughs> so that is also brought up as a better alternative, but one that would be harder to achieve. So Picard surmises that if the Aldeans realize that the Enterprise, uh, yes, will not accept any compensation, they'll put up their cloaking device and lock the children on the planet forever. So he's going to keep them talking, keep them thinking that, you know, they're at least mildly interested in negotiations, even though he never actually acts like they're interested at all. Right. But, you know, Star Trek. Back down on Aldea, we see Wesley is being given third level clearance via the custodian, who seems to be an AI of some kind that apparently was built hundreds of centuries ago, just a very long time ago, and takes care of all of their needs. From his conversation with Dewana, Raghu's wife, it seems apparent that the Aldeans have no idea how the custodian works, what powers it, and have never considered that it might malfunction or need repairs. Wesley looks in on some of the kids who seem happy, rather than extremely traumatized as I would expect them to be, using the neato Aldean technology to do artsy things. Picard speaks with Ragu and tricks him into allowing Picard to bring over both Riker and Dr. Crusher for their talk by citing a fictitious regulation to which Riker and Data look so freaking impressed. Like, guys, it really wasn't that big of a deal. Well,
1: well Data, it, it, it's just the look on his face I when he know. realizes that, that he made it up, Data's like, he. he, he, he. <laughs> And Rachel just loved. had
0: such a smug, like,
1: mm-hmm. I don't
0: know, like you really pulled one off on them, boss. It was a like, hork
1: his, hork. yeah. Really,
0: like you're talking to people who don't know anything about you. So it's not like you really were that slick. <laughs> and also, um, oh. they've already told you that they were listening in on your conversations. So <laughs> maybe don't say these things out loud. <laughs> <laughs> That's
1: a good point. But that never comes oh. back either. Oh, okay.
0: Ragu refuses to let them see the children once they get down on planet. And as they begin talking, Kathleen tries to placate them, saying the children will have a beautiful life with them and that they will breed a new generation based on ancient culture. What the fuck? Oh, my God. Why is this happening?
1: I know. It's like a Literally said the
0: word breed.
1: Yeah.
0: So Beverly, who is not as shocked about the forced breeding revelation as i would like her to be asks how they know the kids won't become sterile living on the planet as well and ragu reveals their sterility is a genetic condition that's not contagious it's not really a reveal i felt like it was at the time um but that's what he says that it's genetic it's not contagious so they know that the kids will be able to reproduce when the time comes which is like the darkest sentence i've said in a while yeah Regu, yet again, dangles the offer of extremely advanced information, this time specifying that he can tell them about areas of the universe that they don't even know exist. Picard pretends to consider this while insisting that Bev be able to see Wesley before their talks continue any further. Regu calls them stubborn, but relents and allows her to go. (laughs) This fucking Mm. scene... Bev greets oh Wesley <laughs> so funny. with an awkward-ass hug and then extremely obviously hands him a device, which he extremely obviously has a reaction to. But Delana is kind of a weirdo, and she just, like, <laughs> doesn't really seem to notice anything is going on. She's literally standing, like, three feet from them and can hear everything they're saying and see everything they're doing. But she's just, like, standing there. So Wesley takes this device and walks behind her... <laughs>
1: Like and he's making bunny ears <laughs> in a class picture,
0: and she doesn't even think. Devanna doesn't even think to like turn her head and look at him. She just stands there. Oh my god! So anyway, she doesn't notice. She doesn't notice this incredibly clumsy sub, subterfuge happening right in front of her, and they get away with it. So Wesley scans her, hands the device back to his mom, and uh, they go back to having their really stilted, ridiculous conversation. <laughs> When Bev gets back, Raghu says his offer is final and Kathleen zaps Bev and Picard back to the Enterprise and then Raghu gives them a small demonstration of Aldean power by firing a little bloop of light at them that makes them go through spinny through space. We find out this is a repulsor beam. (laughs) Which is a callback to, like, what episode was that? The second? Where um, Wesley reversed... (laughs) reverse the tractor beam
1: (laughs) oh yeah that's right reversing the tractor beam
0: yeah yeah. and then we said that sounded really sexual and i always feel like repulsor beam also sounds weirdly (laughs) sexual (laughs) um the repulsor beam put them three days at warp (laughs) nine speed from aldea in just a matter of moments Ragu comes back on the screen to inform the crew that if they don't accept the terms, he's going to push the Enterprise so far away that by the time they make it back to Aldea, the children will be grandparents, which is particularly grim given the circumstances. Uh We see down on Aldea, one of the girls, uh, Katie, I learned her name on a second viewing, practicing music with a device that plays what the person is feeling. She gets the hang of it and plays a little tune and thinks it's pretty neat. But when the man asks her to play something happier, which I felt was very creepy, Uh she says she can't and says she doesn't want to play anymore. Elsewhere, that little shit Harry is not missing his dad one bit and is stoked he doesn't have to do calculus. Which I forgot to mention. Okay, so when Harry runs into Riker in the beginning... Uh His dad comes out. Apparently, Harry was running out of calculus class and he says he doesn't want to go back. And his dad says that he has to go back. So that's the reference. He doesn't want to do calculus. And just I mean, for the record, Harry, like you know kids better than I do. How old would you say this kid is? You could oh, tell me Harry? eight or you could tell me 17 and I would believe you.
1: Oh, Harry's going to be like 10. Okay, or I
0: was thinking like 10. What the fuck is he doing calculus for? I,
1: I, I, I could not figure that out. And I was just like- it was so weird. <laughs> bummed out to see that school is still oppressing children oh in the God. 24th century. Same. It's Same. Like, really? Like we haven't figured out a better It's like, oh, Harry, you got to go to get fucked up in school because, <laughs> you know, we, we haven't figured any shit out yet in our world.
0: I mean, I think I took uh. pre-calc as like a senior in high school- yeah. And calculus yeah. Is, is never required unless you're going into a particular field. So it's not even... I know. It's not like, um, I don't know, what's something that you do need to know? You know what I mean? It's like...
1: Like, calc- al- like even like algebra or something. Yes, if it would have just been you. like algebra or geometry or just something right. like really basic.
0: Where you're like, yeah. okay. I mean, I still would argue not everyone needs to know that, but you can at least make a better case for it. I'm like, who the fuck... Needs to know calculus (laughs) at
1: age 10. They're like, Harry, you're skipping out on your nonlinear algebra (laughs) class.
0: What? (laughs) Right. Oh, my God. Uh. Anyway, so that whole scene was weird. But yeah, so Harry's out here. He's carving with wood. He's super happy. Um, His dad was pretty mid, so I don't blame him for not missing him too much. (laughs) (laughs) But we do learn he does not. Want to do calculus. This is like no. his core character detail that, that we This is his core know.
1: trait. Yeah. Mm-hmm. This is his
0: deepest truth, is he does not mm-hmm. want to do calculus. Yeah. So the enterprise has finally worked its way back to Aldea and Picard agrees to meet with Ragu. Once he hangs up, he barks at Data to find to figure out the shield situation, which Data says seems impossible. And Picard responds that things are impossible until they're not, like true upper management. <laughs> Yeah, seriously. And the second time watching this scene, Data says okay so quick. It's like, it's like actually kind of amazing. Um, anyway, I felt bad for Data. And that is very upper management. Like, I'm just going to run through. I'm going to scream at the closest person to me and tell them to just get it done. And I don't want to even understand the situation. Uh-huh, uh-huh. Bev comes onto the bridge and informs Picard that the scans she got of... Duana show that Dewana is dying from a chromosomal condition and that she has to assume the other Aldeans are also dying from it. She says there's no way to tell if it is indeed genetic or if it's something environmental, which means the kids are in danger of being left on a planet of dying adults and at risk of getting sick themselves. Bev says she won't know if this condition is reversible until she figures out the cause and then runs off to do just that. Harry, continuing in his dad's tradition, has made ex- an extremely mid-sculpture of a dolphin. <laughs> um, he's actually pretty cute. I'll give it to him. He's not a little shit like he seemed in the beginning. He's very excited about the sculpture, explaining what a dolphin is, and then man- mentions he used to live near the ocean and that his dad's an oceanographer before he gets sad and stops talking. The spell has even broken with Alexandra and Kathleen as Alexandra starts to cry for her mommy. Duana, Raghu, and Wesley are all having dinner, though no one is eating, apparently appetite loss is part of this condition that they have, and they get into a conversation where Wesley yet again asserts that the children do not want to be there and will not cooperate. Raghu and Duana are yet again perplexed by his resistance. We then cut to Wesley in bed in his full ass uniform.
1: With his loafers.
0: <laughs> with his loafers, taking after his hero Picard, <laughs> and then jumps out of bed and goes to the custodian's room. He asks to see where the other kids' rooms are, and then we see him go into the music girl's room, Katie, and wakes her up like unnecessarily roughly, which I'm like, uh-huh. you're such a sweet, gentle baby. Why? <laughs> He, like, shakes Why, her. are you, like, menacingly <laughs> reaching down
1: towards her and then if, vigorously shaking her shoulder?
0: <laughs> if someone woke me up like that, I'd have a fucking heart attack. Yeah. Um, But then he... So he wakes her up, and then he asks for her help in escaping and says he's got a plan. And then, as if I could not possibly love my sweet little, sweet little baby, little Wesley baby boy <laughs> anymore... <laughs> Than I already do. His plan is to organize the kids into a hunger and silence strike, I guess you could say, to passively resist and make the Aldeans not want them anymore when they see that the kids will not do what they want. Comrade. Love it. <laughs> Kathleen comes in and asks what the kids are all doing and they're together and goes to pick up Alexandra, but Wesley intercepts her and the kids all refuse to talk. So fuck yeah for solidarity.
1: Yeah. And, and slaps her hand and says, don't eat that.
0: (laughs) I know. I know. I was like, Oh, that's a little rough (laughs) to tell like a small child not to eat.
1: Don't be a scab. No one likes to scab, <laughs> exactly. Alexandra.
0: Don't you fucking cross that picket line, Alexandra. You don't need that
1: fucking Starbucks right now, Alexandra. <laughs> <Stop>. <laughs> Mommy didn't raise no picket line crosser. <laughs> That's
0: right. <laughs> Bev comes rushing in to announce that she figured out the Aldanes have a form of radiation poisoning. They're on the bridge, on the Enterprise. Um, that should be reversible with treatment. But we get bad news from Data, who says trying to hack the shields will take weeks However, then LaForge and Riker come running up to say they have a better understanding of the shield's weakness. And Jordy says,
1: That's not so much a hole as it is a fluctuation.
0: Which is exactly how I describe my vagina to a potential lover. <laughs> and,
1: and, and Jordy, let's do to yeah, <laughs> that makes what I was thinking about seeing back with the repulsor beam way, 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 way more appropriate than I would have realized.
0: I mean, Mike, I've been queuing up the inappropriate remarks this whole time.
1: Oh, my God. Oh, wow.
0: <clears throat> well, thank you. I was hoping to get a big reaction out of you I did even put it in the script I'm like I don't even want to risk him seeing it I'm just gonna say it (laughs) oh and the scene it's so Jordy makes this like hand gesture (laughs) (laughs) and in his very LeVar Burton just having the best fucking delivery always (laughs) it's just the way he says it oh my god oh man okay oh So knowing this, (laughs) uh, they realize that it would be possible to beam a couple people down to the planet, but they feel that it would be too risky to beam the children up through the fluctuation. (laughs) Picard orders Riker and Data down to the planet to knock out the shield, and Picard's going to go and delay slash distract the Aldeans. On Aldea, Riker and Data find the custodian and get to work. Ragu tells Picard he has to deal with the kids hunger strike before they talk further. That must be especially hurtful for Ragu that the kids are on a, not eating. <laughs> Italian Sorry, yeah, I'm sti- <laughs> I'm still
1: back on my- like <laughs> order- I'm just thinking about data and your fluctuation, that's all. Just Cause I know that's a situation you wouldn't mind arranging and now I'm just,
0: (laughs) I'm like, listen. (laughs) Oh boy. (laughs) There are several experiments that I would love to run with data. (laughs) Oh my God. Okay. Um, Hunger
1: strike. Hunger strike. I broke Mike.
0: Picard beams into the room where the kids have staged their protest and the sight of Picard surrounded by small children is satisfyingly awkward. Wesley says he thinks he's figured out the computer. Harry steps forward and asks Picard to tell his dad he's sorry he made him mad and that he misses him. Hmm. Um, If they don't make it out, but Picard says he'll tell him himself and that Picard will tell his dad that he admires his son. Alexandra steps forward, being very Alexandra, putting her arms out for Picard to pick her up. The
1: best. The best.
0: (laughs) So cute. And uh, Picard looks at her in panicked confusion before, before finally relenting. And, oh my God, <laughs> hmm. I broke myself. All right. <laughs> I need to hit my reset button. <clears throat> okay.
1: Hmm. I don't even want to know where that is.
0: <laughs> <laughs> you could never guess. <laughs> Alexandra oh, steps oh forward to be... <laughs>
1: This is going to be rated like double E, you know, not E for everyone, though, which, which I find very, which I find very confusing with podcasts that they rate the explicit it ones It is e. very
0: confusing.
1: Because like in gaming, isn't E for everyone?
0: Yes. And I think, yeah. uh, I don't know what it is for movies. Is it um general? G for general? G.
1: G. Yeah. yeah.
0: It's so weird. It's like everyone knows that X is like explicit, but yeah, I don't get it. Yeah. Okay.
1: Anyway.
0: I see part of the problem is I have a typo. (laughs) So it's my own fault. I'm sabotaging myself. Ah, okay. Ah, yes. Alexandra steps forward being very Alexandra, very cute, putting her little arms out for Picard to pick her up, and Picard looks at her in panicked confusion (laughs) before finally relenting and awkwardly picking her up and looking in her cute little face Picard comes out with the kids and confirms that Riker and Data are in position. (laughs) He states that the children want to go home, and then Bev jumps in to tell the Aldanes about the radiation poisoning that she discovered, which apparently is caused by their shield and has been building up for years. Uh, She compares it to 21st century Earth with our ozone being eroded, and I was like, Bev, you don't have to come for us like this right now. I'm already suffering a lot of eco-grief. This is very triggering.
1: Yeah. I mean, I was like, Bev, the ozone is the least of our problems, (laughs) babe. Like, I mean, if only you knew what we were dealing with right now.
0: I know. And it is interesting because I did Mm. just read an article. It kind of like skimmed an article about um, how we are like much more sterile now and they're not exactly sure what's causing it and i was like Uh all of the movies all of the sci-fi it's all coming (sighs) true
1: it's all coming true
0: oh anyway so stating that if the kids stay they will also get sick and become sterile as well so their forced breeding program is not going to work ragu dismisses this convinced the team is lying to trick them but kathleen steps forward to question the consequences if the team is not Ragu gives massive boomer energy as he declares these all lies the discussion over, but as he tries to bloop them back to the ship, his blooper stops working, presumably blocked by Data and Riker. And I mean, let's be real, by Data. By Data. (laughs) Data is always the one doing the work. Picard orders the children beamed up, but Harry tells them to wait and goes to the man that he was assigned to and says thank you and tells him to keep the dolphin he made. They have a cute little moment, and then Harry says he's ready to go. Alexandra, that little hug slut, doesn't even look at Kathleen before getting beamed up, and I was like, that must sting. I hate when kids and pets are like that they're like all up in your shit and then you go to leave Uh and they're like they don't even care and you're like i thought we had something special
1: and they're like wait who are you (laughs)
0: exactly they're like oh i'm excited about everyone when they first walk in
1: yeah didn't you leave already don't
0: take it personally okay (laughs) 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 yep yep uh, Ragu watches the kids beam away with despair, saying the crew has destroyed them. But Picard says they're not here to destroy. They're here to help. They all go into the room where the power source is. And Ragu makes a speech about how this whole time they've been destroying themselves and that they're going to learn all over again and do things safely this time.
1: A little on the nose there.
0: It was. <laughs> I was <laughs> like, OK, we're just going to say it. Mm-hmm. Picard offers help and Raghu great accepts gratefully this time. We see Harry on the ship with his dad and he tells him he wants to be an artist and does not want to take calculus. His dad, who's still mid as fuck, says he can be anything he wants, but he has to take calculus. Why? I don't understand that <laughs> everyone needs calculus. So unnecessary.
1: So unnecessary.
0: We find out from the bridge crew that Aldea has successfully reseeded its atmosphere, but to maintain it, they can never again use their shield or be cloaked. Bev says they're responding well to treatment. Wesley brings little Alexandra onto the bridge, which Picard immediately barks at him for. But Wes says Alexandra wanted to say thank you. She gives Picard flowers and a hug, and it's very cute. We end the episode with the crew giggling at Picard while they head off on their next next adventure, and it's all very sweet.
1: Yeah, with her little, with Alexandra's little like stuffed animal thing stuck to his back. <laughs> oh, that's that's right. what they're. Yeah. That's what they're all giggling at because he turns <laughs> and it's he's got the little like you know fuzzy thing on his back.
0: Oh, that little fuzzy <laughs> thing was, was gross. I was like, that thing looks like I it's know. full of germs. You know how kids that just- thing.
1: That was like the most authentic part about this episode too cuz <laughs> I, I was like, oh yeah. I mean, my oldest daughter had this like little like cow. Aww. It was like it was like a stuffed cow head like the size of your fist and then its body was just like a little blanket. And she carried that thing everywhere. <laughs> I mean, it is gross. Yeah.
0: Disgusting. And
1: at one at one point, she's gonna kill me if she ever listens to this. At one point <laughs> oh, in I her life, she, <laughs> she 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 had like kind of like picked away at the seam on the cow head and would like slowly pull the stuffing out of the cow head. <laughs> But she had been then surreptitiously taking it out of there and shoving it up her nose. Oh, no. (laughs) And so after like weeks and weeks of the cow head getting smaller and smaller and smaller, but not finding any of the fuzz anywhere, I started noticing the strange smell coming from my daughter's mouth. (laughs) Anyway, trip to the dock. (laughs) And he pulls out a whole cow head stuffing from her nose. I mean, <laughs> it was pretty gross. Yeah, that
0: sounds <laughs> disgusting. <laughs> I will anyway, never all that understand to say. <laughs> kids putting shit up their noses. I
1: don't get it. I like, understand
0: them like eating stuff. Like that makes a certain sort of sense. Say- you know, like a lot of things they do yeah. actually make sense, but I will never understand the putting stuff up your nose thing.
1: Oh, and kids put things in their fluctuations
0: too. Oh, oh, that's awkward. <laughs>
1: I know, I know. I have heard stories, but I will say, in in defense of my daughter, she was like less than two years old at the time. Mm-hmm. So it's you know it's it's definitely still like before oh, yeah. like she's full still a consciousness.
0: Baby.
1: Yeah, exactly, exactly. Which. I, I can kind of understand, you know, but like I mean, some of the I kids guess. who put things in their ear, yeah, like, you know, they will be like 12 or something, like sticking a bean oh, in their ear God. or something like that. I was like, why? God.
0: I was thinking about that the other day because I was on a walk and there are, there are a lot of dogs in San Diego, uh-huh. probably like most cities, I'm sure. And like most cities, we don't have a lot of places for dogs to poop and pee. So there's this, uh... There's this stretch of sidewalk that's in front of this giant uh, apartment building and there's like this patch of fake grass in front of it and it just fucking stinks. Like it's so hard to even breathe going past there because all of the people in the building who have dogs and, you know, people just walking by have their dogs like piss and shit there. And of course, like hardly anyone picks up their poop. There's so many poops just like on the sidewalk and I'm like, of course. I don't yeah. like a curse to you and your house, you know? Like I just, anyway. Um, oh,
1: dude, mo- move to Paris. I, I mean, can't. it is just like
0: <laughs> can't dog even shit
1: central on the sidewalks Ugh. and you know, it's like a thing. Like, like It is a thing. Like, people just expect it to like, anyway.
0: I can't even look get- up at the sky because I have to watch every step I take because I could yeah. be stepping in something. So anyway. I love that we
1: just got <laughs> to talking about dog shit during our podcast. Why not? Welcome to our podcast. We talk about Star Trek, <laughs> vaginas, Oops. and dog shit. I mean.
0: Come for the analysis. Stay for the dog feces. <laughs> That's what I say. Um, you know, this is this is our special spice. That's why people tune into us over other people, is we'll go on, on a right. whole tangent about dog shit and cities.
1: That's right. But
0: anyway, the reason I brought this up is because a lot of people also have small children, and this one person was walking with their super cute little kid, and the kid was just sort of, like, you know, running around. And I just had this, like, vision of this kid reaching down to, like, pick up dog poop and eating it before anyone could do anything.
1: Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. And I
0: just couldn't get that out of my head.
1: I can see that happening. Ooh. Oh, yeah,
0: because kids do that. It's just like, won't like oh, yeah. before you even know what they're doing. And there's so much dog shit out there. So I was like, also, we were next to a road and I was like, it's probably not great, you know, to have your child just running about <laughs> on the sidewalk. No.
1: No. No, man, anyway. free-range kids, they're scary.
0: Free-range kids are scary. <laughs> I mean, sure, within the confines of a space, great. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I always, mm-hmm. I always feel like I am so much more paranoid about other people's kids' safety than they are. I've had this experience so many times in my life where I'm just like completely on edge, adrenals full blast watching a kid, uh-huh. and the parents are just like, whatever, <laughs> they're fine.
1: It makes it very stressful to be around kids in that situation. Yeah,
0: because I'm like, I yeah. know that I don't have kids, so I'm sure that is part of it. But I'm also like, mm-hmm. I was a very clumsy child and my sisters were also very clumsy. So I'm like, I also oh, yeah, have yeah. firsthand experience of like doing a normal kid thing and then suddenly having like my teeth go through my bottom lip.
1: So oh, yeah, like, I mean, you're just, you're, you're paying attention. Yeah, you're
0: <laughs> so like when I see a kid climbing <laughs> on the back of a couch and trying to stand up, my adrenaline spikes and I'm concerned. Yeah, yeah, it
1: does. And the parents are just
0: like, they're just (laughs) doing that. I'm like, okay. And you never know how aggressively to intervene because some parents get Mm -hmm. mad about that too. And you're like, but your child might die in front of my eyes. And I really don't want to have to try to process that level of trauma, so.
1: Just can't do that today.
0: (laughs) Like, I'm going to need you to intervene or I'm going to need to intervene, but someone has got to do something about this kid. That's right. Anyway, before we get into our analysis, hey Mike. Yeah? Do you want to hear a joke?
1: I sure do. (laughs) Is it a dad joke?
0: It is. Um, I picked this one. It's not themed, unfortunately, but I did pick it specifically for you. Mm. Uh, you, Did you know that protons have mass? No. I didn't know that they're Catholic.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Oh, that's pretty good.
0: (laughs) I was looking through my little joke app, and when I saw that one, I was like, that's the one.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, y- y- you know what I was thinking during this episode. <laughs> oh, do you tell? I was like, man, it is going to take all day uh, to figure this one out.
0: <laughs> I love how fucking lazy we are. <laughs> I actually was going to I was going to use Duana's name as the joke. Like that was going to be the whole joke.
1: <laughs> do you want to give it a try? <laughs>
0: I mean, this is why people come. This is really what makes us, <laughs> differentiates us from the rest.
1: That's right. Oh my
0: That's God. Right. <laughs> so should we do some actual analysis?
1: <laughs> Let's do it. I Before we kick off that, I, I will say they packed a lot into this episode. I mean, dude, they had ozone depletion. Yes. Pass, oh my God. I didn't passive... even have that
0: on my list. Yes. I actually wrote yeah. a list of major themes because there are so many. I was trying to keep track. Yeah.
1: So many. Yeah. So you've got just, I mean, just in one brief swoop here, you have ozone depletion, passive resistance, collective action, hunger strikes, uh, radiation, technology. Um, I mean, not to mention all the cultural stuff about this idea of like kidnapping children to populate your dying culture. Uh, So demographic crisis. Sorry, Mm. that was the other one. Um, Family, youth, prediction or planning for the future of a child. I mean, there is so much going on in this episode that there's no way we could possibly even attempt to, like, dig into an analysis of each and every one no, of those things. No, definitely not. Yeah.
0: Yeah, I was thinking that, too. I was like, they did a lot with this episode. And uh-huh. my first watching of it, I felt like this episode was pretty deep, and I felt like I liked it. And then uh-huh. the second viewing, I was kind of like... It it seemed much, I mean, I still like it. I think in general terms of Star Trek, it's like a very solid Star Trek episode, right? Like it is packing in a lot of, a lot of questions, exploring a lot of things. It's using an alien race to do that in a way that I think is effective. But it did come through to me that it was just so much more problematic (laughs) than I kind of picked up on the first time. Even some of the stuff, I mean, the kids stuff obviously was very disturbing um. Well, it was intended to be disturbing, but I mean, the way that they I I got a lot of vibes of like it felt very much like a advanced civilization steals children from less advanced civilization. Mm-hmm. And I felt deeply uncomfortable that that was happening between two white. Mm. races and that
1: interesting
0: that you know like the enterprise was supposed to be i mean the enterprise is this colonizing force and yet in this dynamic it was sort of like the indigenous experience Uh or you know the the people being colonized experience and that made me really uncomfortable Mm. so stuff like that started Mm. to come through where i'm like interesting "This, this complicates my analysis even further because I can't just go on a straight like what is this sort of saying about this sort of action yeah. because then it's also yeah. complicated by things. And that's where I wanted to bring up like my issue with what Deanna said about, uh you know, that might work for other races, but humans are especially uh, like unusually attached to their children In this context, it just it just felt weird. Like it felt weird to me. I understand the concept of we're gonna say aliens are a way to explore and challenge our ideas of what is socially acceptable and challenge ourselves to see that, you know, other cultures can be different from ours and that can be okay. So within that mm-hmm. context, I understand what they meant is, like, you know, they can conceive of alien races that don't feel so attached to their kids. But <laughs> at the same time, I'm like, the, I also think it's pretty harmful to have this idea that there are people that would sell their children.
1: Yeah, they just right. they just wouldn't care yeah. if someone took their kids.
0: And you know, the irony is that <laughs> when you look back over, yeah. you know, old documents and stuff, you see that colonizers documented that the indigenous people that they were colonizing were unusually attached to their children. That's like, yeah. I think, almost a verbatim phrase that has been used in some regards. And that a lot of what they did was to intentionally try to break those bonds as much as possible. And they achieved this in, mm-hmm. you know, myriad ways. And so it just, yeah, it just didn't sit well with me. It's like, I, I understand what they mean. They mean to say, like, we're trying to explore a universe. And within that universe, we could try to accept different cultural norms But it kind of, especially given that they are colonizers, it kind of comes through as like, oh, well, there's some races where you can just buy kids, but like, we're not one of those. And that like really did not sit well for me at all.
1: Yeah. Yeah. It's, I mean, back to what you're saying about it being a good episode. I mean, it's like warp six out of nine, you know, like it's (laughs) like it's a solid episode. Yeah, it's solid. And, you know, one reflection I had along the lines of what you're saying is that when you get down, when you actually start digging into the subtext of what would have to happen or like what the logical conclusion would be of any number of these episodes of Star Trek, (laughs) it's so horrifying that it couldn't actually be a primetime television show. Mm -hmm. It would just be a straight up horror film. And, you know, I'm thinking of so many episodes where we talked about like, if we carry this through, like like this one, there's the kidnapping of children, mm-hmm. obviously horrifying. Mm-hmm. Um, and then there's the idea of like kidnapping those children for the purpose of turning them into like procreators, yeah. I guess. Like also kind of creepy. Yeah. Um, and but like in order for Star Trek, on the other hand, in order for Star Trek to do what they're trying to do, they kind of have to have these horrifying premises. That they don't carry to the full extent of their horror, so I'm kind of like I'm I'm sort of like understanding of it because in in a way, not to not to excuse you know like like you were saying I totally agree with this idea that it feels uncomfortable for the enterprise to be putting itself in this position of like you know indi- like an indigenous experience, um, and also it seems like they approach that topic for an audience that maybe wouldn't otherwise really be able to like wrap their head around that topic. Mm -hmm. I I think that was one of the strengths of Star Trek is they kind of like, they use kind of guerrilla warfare on the brain a little bit, you know, (laughs) for like, you know, the, the late eighties, early nineties, kind of, you know, person who would watch a show about space and would, be way more willing to entertain things than they would if the show was not about space.
0: Mm-hmm. So,
1: so I do feel like there's that aspect of Star Trek that I kind of liked about this episode was that they they tackled something that you couldn't, you just couldn't do on prime time. Yeah, um, absolutely. You know,
0: and I mean, it it to give them credit, like, and this is why I think I had my initial reaction, thinking like, oh, that was pr- that was pretty good, and then. You know, having more time to percolate, I was like, "Eh, how this was done doesn't sit well, but um, it is very obvious that what the Aldeans are doing is wrong. So I think Mm -hmm. that that is something at least is that regardless of the fact that I am very uncomfortable with like who was in kind of representing what role here, at least it was shown as like this is a very bad thing for them to do. Um, there's <laughs> just like so many other parts of it, though. I'm like, I don't know how I feel about this, because I think there's maybe also a message of focusing too much on the arts is bad, which I'm like, is that a problem for anyone? Like, I, I don't know anywhere where that's an
1: issue. I had that exact same thought because... When I first started watching the episode, I was like, "Oh, this seems like a pretty cool, like anti-capitalist society issuing yeah. the desire for more and more things." And <clears throat> Radu was talking about like, "Oh, yeah, our our you know we, we've been you know encouraging people to not want things and like trying to get, but then they like link that directly to the fact that they're a dying civilization." Yeah, and I'm kind of like, "Wait, is your message that?" You know, if we don't study calculus,
0: you know, that
1: we're going to be a dying civilization. That's what
0: I put together because I was like, why do they keep bringing up calculus? Like, that's so weird and specific. And then that's what occurred Mm -hmm. to me at the end of the second viewing. I was like, oh, because Harry wants to be an artist. And his dad's like, you can be whatever you want, but like everybody needs to know calculus. Right. And I was like, oh, So that's, that's the moral of the story is that like, it's okay Mm -hmm. to be an artist, but you also have to know STEM stuff Mm -hmm. just in case your overlord computer breaks. Like I don't, you know what I mean? And I'm like, that's so I can understand if the overall message and maybe this is what they're going for. The overall message is like. We should, um, like, all areas of knowledge are useful and should be cultivated. Nothing should be pushed out for the sake of strictly everybody just focusing on whatever. Because you have to think with the Aldanes, like, there probably were ones that wanted to be scientists. And then maybe they weren't allowed to do that. Mm -hmm. So I guess if that's the message. But it just seemed to more come through that, like, these, like, flighty artists (laughs) had just, like... Were little babies who didn't know how to take care of themselves and their big computer was doing everything for them because they were artists yeah. who didn't take math class. And that just felt weird to me, especially, I think, given how much the arts are always under attack in schools. Yes. It just felt kind of almost irresponsible to be promoting that message. I know.
1: I know. I just I, I just could not, like... <laughs> Yeah, I, I could not divorce myself from the thought of how arts and you know physical education mm-hmm. and theater and music and all that stuff has just been systematically pushed out of the public arena, yeah. particularly public schools. Yeah. And it's I, it's interesting because I, and I, maybe one of our listeners will correct me on this because I'm I'm not I'm not going to say I'm totally right about this, but. I think there was a little bit of like a sweet spot in the nineties where there was like okay funding for public arts um, at least like a little bit. Mm. And, and, and so I do feel like in some ways there was like a moment where, you know, where art was like kind of given its due to an extent. Mm -hmm. Um, But, you know, now it's just... Anything that's not, you know, fucking Bitcoin or something is just like, you know what I mean? (laughs) It's like. Well,
0: and that's a good point. I mean, I think um, uh, putting putting the um, historical significance, what am I trying to say? Like I'm coming at this from a 2022 perspective that may mm -hmm. not have been the environment when this show came out. So it may not be as like inappropriate as it seems. That's Mm -hmm. a good like point to include. Is that like maybe at the time of filming this, the arts weren't as endangered, under attack, yeah, underfunded as they are today.
1: Yeah, it's yeah. Anyway, it's an interesting episode though with just how much they try to tackle, and even that theme of like demographic decline, Mm -hmm. which I don't know that they were actually fully getting into in this but like in my mind again in 2022 brain i'm thinking about like demographic crises in so many places in the world where it's like you know they've basically again though my take on it being like capitalism has made it so impossible for people to survive that it's like of course you're going to have a demographic crisis like like a lot of people are like who in their right mind is going to procreate when around me are all these like trappings of a really you know like modern life but I have no access to those things I can barely put food on the table Um, and that's I don't know that that's interesting I wonder I wonder what the percentage of like actually like living wage jobs there were available when this episode dropped mm. compared to like today for somebody with a high school education for example you know
0: yeah yeah and I think even the concept of a demographic crisis, like, is interesting. Like, is it a crisis uh-huh. if we're not operating Isn't under right. capitalism? Right? Right. <laughs> like a... Great point. Um, You know, here, it doesn't necessarily apply directly to this situation uh, where the Aldean's, like, obviously we're having um, an existential crisis, we could say, you know, they're Uh looking at literally going extinct if they don't do something. But yeah, I think, um, you know, I've read so much about different countries at different times that have really reduced their birth rates because people are always banging on about overpopulation being the issue, right? Like Uh the capital T issue under capital, you need more, you have to always have growth in all areas Uh to stay economically viable. It just, yeah, I think the theme, well, my self-imposed theme on the episode that kept coming up to me is this idea of what is acceptable to keep a civilization going. And I think we've mm. talked about this before. It's a theme that comes up often in sci-fi, right? Is like so many times the premise is this race is going to go extinct if we don't X, Y, Z. And my question is always, well, <laughs> like mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. maybe mm-hmm. you need to go extinct, <laughs> you know, like maybe that is just what's yeah. going to happen. Um and i think that kind of ties into this i to me i feel like that's very fundamental to our obsession with growth and our accept our accept, accepting capitalism as like this inevitability and this this i don't even want to say like it's like a good thing it's almost like this thing that must be and I think a big part of that is this idea that we need to grow forever. We need to persist forever. And so, it, like, for us, it makes sense to have an economy that reflects that. And it's weird to me that, like, I guess that's what was a little surprising with them putting this this level of, like, aggressive self-protection on a planet that had dedicated itself to the arts and culture is like do I really think because I would think if you know they would have had a lot of philosophers and you know kind of the more the thinking arts uh would they have been this dedicated to continuing Uh. or would they have been okay to maybe have their planet be a museum for all the beautiful things they created and just sort of go quietly into that good night you know
1: Mm hmm. Mm hmm.
0: So, yeah, it was interesting. I think that's part of what I was struggling with to know if I felt like this, me- this episode's message was overall good. Was that this site of this planet seemed like an odd choice in a couple different ways for what they were doing?
1: Uh, you know, you just that's a super interesting point you just brought up because I'm wondering if what if like an alternate ending was that the Aldeans decided that they were just, that they were actually just going to let themselves go extinct. And I, like, that's, that's really interesting that like this, the idea that like the perpetuation of a particular aspect of our being is always taken as, as a given that that's, you know, that that's a, that that's a good thing. Um, and that could be an interesting approach. Like what would a civilization look like that was like, okay, well, we've run our course and, you know, we, we, we just, you know, put so much love and beauty out into the world and now we're going to go because it's like, it's such a violent act, Mm -hmm. the idea of like, and it just seems so inconsistent with everything else about the civilization that's been around for, you know, centuries or millennia or whatever, you know, however long the Aldeans had been there like the fact that they had cut themselves off is kind of like a demonstration that they were just like, yeah, we we just, you know, we just have this thriving thing that we want and this is all we need. And like, and it might end one day, you know, and just like the the, the beauty of life is like you know, when you can get to that point where you realize that everything will end, yeah. you know, and then, and then you're okay with it. And then it's like, Oh, right. Suddenly you're okay. When you can accept that because instead of trying to hold on to everything and stop it from ending, (laughs) you're like, Oh, right. Like this is really beautiful and it won't always be. So.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And I think that's part of, um, you know, I'm someone who would like to be a vampire. I've said this. Publicly, me and my best friend have a pact that if one of us figures out how to be a vampire, we will do that together and keep each other company. But I don't actually want to be a vampire, but I would like to live for a very long time. You know, I have like so many things I'd like to do and so many things I'd like to learn. And I feel like my life was just kind of cut off for me for a long time by illness and survival. But I also understand why in general this desire to live a super long time, if not forever, is so problematic, right? And a lot of times it's rooted in white supremacy and this idea of, you know, we see this replicated in property and racism and all of that is about how do I retain this wealth for my bloodline and how do I retain this political power for my bloodline? And that's why, Uh you know, this... This idea of like us wanting to live forever is problematic, even if I as an individual am like, sign me up for the trial, (laughs) I would do it.
1: Right. Right.
0: But anyway, so yeah, I think looking at this planet, it yeah, it just seems a little like out of character. And I think... I think it would have been, I don't want to say it necessarily would have been a more interesting, well, I do think it would have been more interesting, maybe not more important, but more interesting to explore. Yeah. What if you had a planet who had all their needs met and were able to focus on arts and culture and think Mm -hmm. a lot and have all of their knowledge preserved, you know, with this technology that they had and who came to the end of their line and made peace with that? I think- you know, for them to yeah. maybe take a step back and be like, "We just fucking stole children from people." <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> like, maybe we need to, you know, just like let it go. Um, mm-hmm. I think could be an ex- an interesting exploration of because I guess that's why I bring up like the white supremacy and stuff because that is part of it. Like, if if rich white people could just be okay with the fact that they're gonna die and that all of the like like they're they are attempting to leave a legacy of inequality behind them and to just let that fucking yep. go you know and i think yep. like it would have been cool to see the aldeans be like okay we're just gonna go extinct and that's okay and do mm-hmm. we have information and technology we'd like to share with other people to help them? You know, do we have stuff before,
1: before yeah, we're gone.
0: and maybe, you know, just distribute it to everybody somehow all at once,
1: mm-hmm.
0: like make it equitable, don't let anyone have power over anyone else. Um, I don't know, it just would have been neat to see some of huh. that, but it, you know, huh. at the end, Ragu, like, he never has. I guess he does have an insight, but it's not around the actions that they took to survive. It's like,
1: Uh oh,
0: we're going to learn how to work the computer so that (laughs) we don't, you know, we don't uh, roast our sperm again. And it's like, well, (laughs) I don't think that that was really the lesson here.
1: Is that the takeaway (laughs) from this situation? I'm
0: like, "Mm, uh." (laughs) and, you know, there's the question of like, can they even survive? Now, like I, I, don't know if there were more Aldeans that we didn't see, but I only saw two people who, who seemed um, of age to give birth. So it's like, uh-huh. are you even going to yeah. be able to save your planet anyway? Maybe this exactly. could have been a time to just like reevaluate your values and reevaluate your sense of mortality. <sighs> but I guess not. Um, I also felt within this thread that <laughs> one of the many things that was sort of put in the episode and then not paid off was uh Kathleen's attachment to Alexandra.
1: Right. That just that was like kind of a jarring scene. Yeah. And then just nothing. it was given
0: a lot of like cinematic significance, right? Like it was given a lot of um yeah, it was the way it was shot, Redu's reaction to it, like everything about it was like, oh, this is a big deal.
1: I saw that scene, I saw the episode taking a totally different Same. direction during that yeah. scene.
0: Yeah, and to the point where I kind of misremembered what the episode mm-hmm. did because it just made so much sense to me that the whole point seemed to be... So I didn't... Okay, two questions or two thoughts. I I didn't know if they didn't understand familial attachment because they don't have a lot of kids anymore. Or if Uh they are a species who like doesn't have attachment to their children.
1: Uh So
0: that was not clear, but I was assuming that's what it was because then once Kathleen is around a child, right, she becomes very attached very quickly Right, And it seemed like the whole point was going to be at the end for her to be like, I now understand how they feel, and this is wrong. <laughs> and we didn't uh-huh. get that. She no, she did really come forward, but she was more like, well, what if they're right about the radiation poisoning? There was never like, oh, I have empathy now because I have now myself felt the pangs of maternal instincts, and I get it. Yeah. What we did was really cruel and wrong. Yeah. So that was never fulfilled.
1: Yeah, that was weird. That's weird. I have, I have kind of ridiculous observations <laughs> from this episode. I mean,
0: I'd be disappointed if you didn't.
1: <laughs> so uh, this is a bit of a tone change here for a moment. Okay. We can always come back to other stuff if you want. But, okay, one, the perms. <laughs> the The perms in Star Trek just did not age well like the the perms and the feathered hair but really but really the perms are the most problematic just there were a couple (laughs) times i think it was one of the moms in one of the parents in the conference room i was just like oh damn the that was alexander's mom
0: yeah
1: yeah alexander's mom yeah so that that was one observation i had um the musical instrument. <laughs> yes. It It is basically the Simon toy.
0: Yes, it is the Simon toy. <laughs> yes.
1: Right? Like it has a few more buttons on it because I looked, I, I did like look up the Simon, you know, just to see because I was not personally, my family was too broke ass poor to mm. afford a Simon. So, yeah. you know, but I, I had seen him at my friend's houses. Just. <laughs> <laughs> I
0: saw <a> commercials <laughs> <just>, of <for> them. <laughs>
1: I saw him on TV Saturday morning cartoons. You it's know? like tell
0: me you're poor without um, telling me you're poor. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I recognize this story from commercials. <laughs> from yeah, my youth.
1: yeah, exactly. So that was interesting, but I will say yes. that um, the the kids' outfits in the mm. show I feel like did age well because they were like just ridiculous enough that like that could be space age, but not so ridiculous that you were like, oh my goodness, this is so 90s. Because like some of the outfits in the show are just like so blatantly 90s and all of the hairstyles are just so blatantly (laughs) late 80s, early 90s. But the kids' clothing, particularly Alexandra's, I was like, I believe Alexandra is a kid in the 24th
0: century. I had that exact same thought. I thought she just was styled really well. What? I thought she looked great. And yeah. I was like, I buy this. I buy that she's a little yes. kid in the twenty fifth century. Twenty fourth.
1: Oh, 25th. I, I, I don't know. know. I think it's I wrote down twenty-fourth, but I might be wrong about that.
0: Either way, I buy it. So yeah, I agree. Uh-huh. I think the kids uh-huh. stuff is done really well. And all the mm-hmm. kids were good actors. Which is like a peeve of they mine. Were. A lot of kids are not good actors.
1: And, and and you wonder, like, why are you putting this horrible child yeah. actor on? Thank the show? you for
0: validating my feelings about that, because a lot of people are like, mm-hmm. they're kids. That's so mean. And it's like, look, I wouldn't like bully them to their face about it. But also if someone's casting actors, why would you cast actors that can't act? I don't care how old they are.
1: No, I'm not being mean to the kids who are bad actors. I'm being nice to the kids who are great actors <laughs> right. and didn't get a shot. And I have know to what work I mean? with this like,
0: trash next to them.
1: <laughs> I know, right?
0: <laughs> but yeah, I was like, oh, oh this is great because I felt like all the kids were just really good. And you felt, you know, you felt their excitement at this like cool stuff, mm-hmm. but also that they uh-huh. were like sad and scared. And I don't know. I just thought it was cool. Um, I thought I had something to spring off of what you said. Oh, yes. Uh, So one of the things that occurred to me in this episode that I think about a lot as someone who is creative, but is not skilled in some areas that I wish that I was. So Uh I have, for instance, drawing. I really wish I could draw better because I have so many things in my head, but I am not really mm-hmm. able to get them out on paper or, you know, get them out in some format. So I was wondering for you, because you know, I know like you're a musician, how do you feel about this idea that these people would have access to things that essentially would transcend the need to know how to do what you have in your head? Because that's what this technology was. It was like Oh, if you just have a feeling, then this thing will play the music for you. Or if you have an image in your head, this thing will shape the wood for you. And I was like, I feel not that I'd want to gatekeep who can be an artist or whatever, but I just was like, it it was more like a philosophical, like, what is art? Is it having the idea or Uh is it getting the idea out of your head and into something Because even when it comes to writing, which is one of the skills I think I have, um, I know I can have an amazing idea for a script or a short story or a book, but if I don't, when you sit down to do it, that's when you realize that no matter how good your idea is and how well you've thought it out, like that's where a lot of the talent really does come through because you realize like, oh, I didn't think about how to get from this scene to this scene or... You know, it's like when you have to figure out how to actually make this truly come to life. And so I was just thinking Hmm. about that. I was like, I don't know how I feel about this idea that these kids are going to go and have access to tools that bypass that whole process of actually making and then have to go back to the enterprise and not have that anymore and have this idea Hmm. that like in my head, I'm an artist or I'm a musician but maybe I don't have the skills to actually do that without those tools that I had access to.
1: That's interesting because there's a way in which you could almost interpret that. I'm thinking like from the musician angle that like, there are a lot of like technically talented guitar players, but you would mostly say like the guitar players that are the best to listen to are the ones where like you can feel, Mm -hmm. Like you can feel something different, or you can tell that they're feeling something different. And in that sense, the guitar is just the tool of technology. And then they're just conveying the emotion through that tool. Um, but in this sense, you're right, there's kind of like no technical acuity required to operate these. I mean, you can just slap it into the hands of a 10-year-old boy and just be like, spray it on this block of wood, and suddenly <laughs> these dolphins a dolphin. will, will appear. Yeah. So that's, that's an interesting way of thinking about it. And to, to complexify that layer, I was also thinking about my problems with the idea that we knew what kids would, would become. Mm, Yeah. Um, And it got me thinking a lot about, you know, a lot of the kids that I work with, you know, their parents have already decided what path more or less that the kids are going to take or the kids themselves have have quote unquote decided, but really like, you know, the pressures of capitalism have decided for them, like what, what they're going to do or who they're going to quote unquote be. And I I thought that that was a really interesting question that never really got explored in the episode. And I feel like it was definitely like sort of a subtext there mm-hmm. was that like, it's determined what these kids are and that's why we're going to place them with these families. And I did think that that was one very interesting and subtle Exploration of the family dynamic that happened in this episode where it was like the, you know, like Harry's dad might be like kind of a dork, <laughs> but you were exploring this question of like, oh, is he better off with this guy who's technically his dad or with these people who will help him become what he's really meant to be? Mm-hmm. And I was like, whoa, that's that's kind of an interesting question because it does sort of, it does sort of ask like, are children better better off with the person who biologically birthed them. Mm. Um, And I thought that was an interesting question. And then, I mean, there's a whole other complex layer there that I don't really want to get into, but even the idea of like, you know, cross-cultural or cross-racial adoptions, you know, and it's, and I guess that is kind of a, kind of a case study of that very thing of like, on the one hand, you have like a, let's say like a, a transnational adoption where you're giving a child a home. And so it seems like, it seems like a net good. Mm-hmm. And yet on the other hand, um, in some ways, removing them from what ultimately, you know, is a part of their identity. And in some cases, if we take it to an extreme, um, in some ways, just completely erasing that aspect of identity um and and I'm, I'm by no means saying that that's always the case in you know transnational adoptions but it it, it certainly could be the case mm-hmm. and so it, i think it just gets into a really interesting question about what family even mm-hmm. is and i feel like that's something that like you know star trek is in a really unique position to explore because wouldn't we have kind of started to question the family unit you
0: would think <laughs> Yeah.
1: By that point. Especially living on ships
0: together in a big community. Sure. You know, and you'd have your parents would be away on missions all the time. So, yeah, Mm -hmm. you'd be in the same class. It just, I think there'd be much more of a village kind of vibe on the ship. Mm -hmm. And to expand on your point, you know, another potential solution at the end could have been that their culture didn't need to die, but they didn't need to capture these kids to share their culture and that they could have uh-huh. adopted a more queer kind of open family structure where it's like they can be with their bio parents and have connections to the Aldanes as well. You know, maybe the kids yep. could do like a summer internship on Aldea, so to speak, or they could have done sure. stuff remotely or the Aldanes could have joined the enterprise and been part of the family. Like they're just would sort have of, there could have been a lot of options for like, hey, our culture doesn't have to be... Because, I mean, apparently they were already open to the fact that like they weren't going to actually biologically pass on their DNA, right? Like they had accepted We'd, mm-hmm. we need new people to take on our culture. So from that space, it seems like there could have been a whole lot of options for how they could do that. Each of them could have gone to a different planet and opened up a school or, you know, some kind of place of learning or whatever and had yep. this ability to to pass on their culture in this, like, different way. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's really interesting. And to also expand on your point with the um, – with, like, the paths that we put children on, I, I also had – Kind of the same thought while I was watching that because I was like, okay, I mean, we've seen Harry doesn't want to take calculus, right? And his dad's insisting that he does. But I I don't remember if it was Dewana or one of the other Aldeans, but someone said something to the effect of, because uh, I think it was Wesley who expressed like he didn't know that Harry was an artist or something. And she's like, "Well, we we knew, like we saw what they're supposed to be, and we're going to cultivate that. So it's not even like uh-huh. Harry knew he wanted to be an artist. It's like somehow they knew that about him, which yeah. I think just makes your yeah, point. What I mean. it's so <laughs> yeah, it is very weird. Yeah. And it's like, well, ultimately, how is that different than what Harry's dad was doing?" You know, how how have right, you changed right. the dynamic at all? He's gone from one parent forcing him into something to another parent forcing him into something. And sure, it may speak yeah. more to his soul to be an artist, but being forced into anything is not good. You know, it's not good to lose that autonomy over your life. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that I think that's all very interesting. And yeah, I think. It would have been cool if they could have maybe sat in that a little bit more with this episode about parental expectations and the nuclear family and what that really looks like. Yep. Um, It would have been cool to see that pushed a little bit further. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Well, did you have any words of wisdom (laughs) from this episode, Nick?
0: Um. Well, uh, things are only impossible until they're not.
1: (laughs) (laughs) That's a word of unwisdom, but yes. yes, I mean, like, I think it
0: can work on both. Like, I think it could be a word of wisdom in a certain situation, but in this one, it was like a, yeah, it was the words of unwisdom. Uh, What about you?
1: I do, actually, I do do like that, though, what you said about it it could also be really. Like encouraging and exciting. Like if we applied exciting. it to it the just,
0: family structure, right? That exactly. Kind
1: of or to, or to crushing capitalism yeah. and destroying the patriarchy. Yeah. <laughs> then yeah, it's it's only impossible until exactly. it happens.
0: It's something I see yeah. Wesley making at one of his worker union speeches in the future.
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, it it goes back to your point about the like on the left that one of the most powerful things that we can do is like pour all of our creative energy into imagining what the world could mm-hmm. be like, like we can, we I think easily sometimes get bogged down because there is so much horrible, horrible stuff going on that it can be, you know, so exhausting thinking about that, that we can lose sight of like, but, but there is, you know, we're, we can imagine something yeah. better. Yeah. You know, and I think that's that's and we have the
0: innovation to get there. You know, we can imagine it. Yeah. Not just like we can create art about it, but we can also have Mm -hmm. engineers working on it. You know, we can do the full spectrum of like solving this together. Um, Mm -hmm. and we need that. We need visionaries on the left, we need artists, we need engineers, we need everybody, we need leaders. Um, And I think, yeah, a lot of times a lot of the focus is spent, at least in my estimation, from what I see in the spaces I'm in online, a lot of the creative energy goes to thing bad and getting people to understand that thing is bad. And there's not really as much output for any of these other aspects of what we need to help people get past Mm. the grief that you have to go through when you accept thing bad and then you feel lost of like well what do we do about it then yeah. where do we go and yeah. then you know yeah. some of the stuff that is proposed just feels too pie in the sky or too abstract that it's just not really helpful for most people who aren't okay with mm-hmm. things being more theoretical uh more abstract you know you have a lot of practical people who are like well what are the steps like that's what i want to know and there's not often a lot of answers for that And I think that's also where we go wrong as we focus on this, like, extreme future state, this utopia (laughs) that we want to get to. And and it's like, that's great. I mean, you know, ultimately, again, we always want to be having like a very big picture kind of vision. But it just is so much more helpful if you tell me what are things that could actually happen in the next few years. What are things that I could see in my lifetime?
1: Along, Along the, the way,
0: because it's like, yeah, of mm. course, I want to live in some uh, moneyless, classless, you know, future state without states. <laughs> um, <laughs> but I, I realistically know that, like, even if there is revolution and even if we get there, like, I'm not going to see that in my lifetime. So what. Right. What could I see in my lifetime and what could I advocate for? What policies could I push for? What kind of information can I give people as an activist today? That can help other people mm-hmm. understand what we could do now and yeah mm-hmm. we need more of that
1: yeah okay <laughs> it was a word of wisdom, then.
0: but i mean the way picard said it was not a word of wisdom yeah
1: <laughs> no, exactly so we're gonna we're right. gonna reclaim it picard said that
0: do. with like elon musk energy and i did not appreciate it <laughs>
1: No, especially no. to my
0: sweet Data, who did not get enough attention this episode and was just kind of bossed around. And I was like, "Poor Data," and yet he's the one who like we fixed need some everything. Data action.
1: That's true. Yeah, i I had a word of wisdom, but it was like like partly a word of wisdom and partly just like tongue in cheek because it was like just in in Ragu's on the nose speech, <laughs> but. When he says the very thing that has given us this wonderful world has caused this tragedy. Yeah. Because I I, like, yes, it's a little cheesy, but it's also like, I don't know, like I I feel like that's sort of what we wanted out of this episode too, is this idea of like, oh, maybe our our desire to preserve this thing that we thought was so wonderful has driven us to to take actions Mm -hmm. that... Are you know abominable, which obviously they never did reach that conclusion. <laughs> right. But like it would have been nice if they did. So anyway, that I, I thought that was I thought that was my my word of wisdom. Yeah,
0: and yeah, I felt that sentence was very profound. I had it on my list as well, and partly too because there is a lack of self awareness in him saying that. There there uh-huh. is a lack of like really actually making the connections he needed to make because also. When he says this wonderful world, I'm like, but is it that wonderful? We get little snippets exactly. throughout that like their oceans have mm-hmm. died. You know, there's been like really mm-hmm. very real uh, effects to their environment. Well,
1: I mean, they're irradiating themselves, <laughs> they're, so it's yeah. like this might right. not be good. And
0: so it, that was kind of and and also saying that um, you know they they suffered with people getting very materialistic. And it seemed like yeah. they had kind of a cultural crisis from that viewpoint. And so it's like, yeah. was it that wonderful? But to me, that makes it kind of mm-hmm. deep because I think, again, if if we're talking about something like capitalism, I think you could have someone who has very much suffered under capitalism who would say something like that. You know, I've been like, oh, yeah. this, this yeah. thing, like, this is the thing that gave me this wonderful world, but it's also caused this tragedy. And it's like... But capitalism didn't give you anything. (laughs) It it was people all along. You know, it's like, (laughs) (laughs) and that's how it is for them, too. Like, it's like your world's not wonderful. And this thing really didn't give you anything. You know, it's like, Mm -hmm. I guess the technologies you have gave you access to things that other people don't have. But, you know, you've also paid a high price for those things. Which is in part what he's saying, but it just, yeah, I think like his lack of like introspection was really interesting in that moment. And I think it's also what leaders do, you know, they just make these statements that sound amazing, but then you think about it and you're like, wait, what? (laughs) Cause like that does sound really beautiful. It's like, Whoa. Yeah. And I could see being at like a corporate meeting with hundreds of people. Oh, <laughs> oh, everybody people will be, would like, be like wetting themselves. You know, oh,
1: applauding. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I, I will say that the, the performance by the supporting cast mm. in this, like, like that they brought in, like the special guest stars, really did make it. Yeah. Like, you know, they had some good actors on this one. I so. agree. Props to you. Star I think that Trek. did
0: really add to it that, like, you weren't really taken out of what was happening by any cheese. Like, this episode was not cheesy at all. Yeah.
1: No, no, not like prosthetic aging <laughs> episode.
0: That's uh, when I pulled out my, because um, I have a Google account for the podcast. So when I pulled up that browser, that was what I still had on the screen was the image search from that episode with like a big picture of his silly face. <laughs> and I just was like delighted Whoa. all over again. <laughs>
1: uh. um,
0: and that was kind of my review for this too. I think that's part of why I didn't know how to feel about it because I was like, that was a good... Ep- like, it was a well-made episode. But I was never yeah. delighted. Like, I was delighted yeah, by Alexandra no, a right. bit because she are so cute. But even with it being fairly uh-huh. Wesley-heavy, there was no moment. Maybe the fluctuation moment is pretty stellar. <laughs> but I didn't feel like people were having fun. There wasn't anything, you know, light about it. There wasn't like... No, whatever. Um which is fine. It's it's okay for them to do that, but it but it was interesting that I was like, "Oh wow, there was just like no camp, no cheese in this mm-hmm. episode. Like they went yep. very serious with it."
1: It was a pretty serious episode. I mean, it was about kidnapping, so I guess they had to be kind of a little bit serious, True. but So, um it looks like we have a visit to Valera 3 oh, in yes. our next episode. That is
0: imminent. Mm-hmm. So next episode is gonna mm-hmm. be season one, episode 17, Home Soil. On Valera 3, Jordi and Data discover a microscopic life form responsible for the death of an engineer stationed on the base. Dun dun dun.
1: Ooh, is he wearing a red shirt? Uh
0: I hope so. <laughs>
1: <laughs> hey, I just 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 a plug here. To our to for our Patreon, if you're a listener, you got to check out the swag on the Patreon. Uh, It's pretty cool. It is pretty
0: cool, and you know, spoiler alert: you could be a red shirt if you wanted to be. That is possible. You could be a red shirt,
1: or you could, or if you're a hoodie type, you can get a kick-ass hoodie. Um, Yeah, I mean, I I just I strongly recommend (laughs) that you. That you support our Patreon at least for enough time to get yourself some free stuff.
0: Absolutely. Yeah, we were feeling yeah. bad that we had taken a while with this episode, but I told Michael all of our patrons received merch <laughs> last month. So I'm like, they're good. They didn't they didn't get an episode, but they got merch.
1: <laughs> yeah. So did anyway. you
0: have an episode rating before we sign off?
1: I de- yeah, I used my rating already. I said six out of nine, six warp six out of nine. Oh,
0: you like gave it a numerical rating.
1: I, but see, it's it's totally <laughs> arbitrary because I, at one point I was like, I was like, oh, we should use like a quote from Diana Troy or oh, we should have some kind of scale. And now I'm just like, I just make up the scale and You're make up the rating each episode.
0: Wild, anarchist, rating guy. <laughs>
1: That's right, man. This is the Red Shirt Collective. This is gay space communism, man. I am not. I'm not fucking around with like ten point scales and nope. you know curves of standard deviation. I didn't take no calculus. Yeah, that's
0: right, damn right. Well, I did have an episode rating.
1: Oh, okay. What was your episode rating?
0: Everyone needs an understanding of basic calculus, whether they like it or not. Why? <laughs> And before we sign off, I also just have to point out that Deanna at the end said, Well, we and we know they'll make good parents. And I was like, Deanna, what the fuck? What?
1: What are you talking about? That was almost my
0: rating, as that was an alternate rating. And we know they'll make
1: good parents. It's like, girl, get a (laughs) crib. I know, I know.
0: (laughs) Anyway, well, yes, I'm very excited for the next episode. And uh, yeah, we'll see you then.
1: Cue the outro music.
0: Thanks for joining us today on our mission, comrade. To keep this galaxy-class starship chugging along, we need your help. If you like the show, consider supporting us by leaving us a good review on iTunes or your preferred podcasting app. Follow us on Instagram, share us with your friends, promote us on social media, or become a financial supporter of the show on Patreon at patreon.com slash Collective. Now,
1: get off my
0: ship.